So we're starting a new series and it's called Joseph's 10 Tests. Joseph's 10 Tests. Uh, before Joseph fulfilled his destiny, he had to overcome 10 character tests in his life. These 10 character tests are tests that all of us have to overcome in our life. Dan, now I need more volume, I think. We all have these character tests we have to pass if we're going to fulfill our destiny. Everybody understand? So in other words, you can't just get saved and think, okay, now that I'm saved, now I'm going to heaven and life's going to be good. That's not how it works. You not only need Jesus to get saved, you need the word of God and Jesus to help you obey that word so you can do what God's called you to do on earth. Some people, they get the dream from God and the passion, for, and then they think, oh, God, I know you got a good plan for my life. And they die having not fulfilled the plan because they thought life was just about getting saved. It's not about getting saved. It's about growing and changing. Everybody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Do you like to grow? Say yes or no. Yes. Okay, just making sure. Even people with masks on said yes. I can see because there's slobber coming on the front of the mask. Okay, so everybody's got these 10 tests. Now, um, these 10 tests that Joseph had to pass, they're character tests. He started at the age of 17. Do y'all remember what you were like at 17 years old? Some of you don't remember because of the things you were doing at 17 years old. But he started at 17. He stepped into his destiny at the age of 30. But he did not fulfill it until he was in his late 40s. So as we read about the life of Joseph, we got to give him grace because he was 17 years old when he first got the dream. Here's the thing about these character tests that we have to pass. We're going to do three this week, three next week, and four the final week. God cannot take us where our character won't keep us. It's very important you understand that if God was to put you into your destiny today and you haven't developed these 10 characters in your life, you could lose the very thing that God wants to bring into your future. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say that you have a really bad problem with getting offended easy or being easily angered or some kind of flesh pattern God wants to work out, but you're believing for God to send you that person that you want to marry, spend the rest of your life with on earth. If God brings that person into your life today and you haven't passed these tests, God knows you're going to lose that person. Or maybe you're going to jump into sexual immorality or something you know you shouldn't do. And you want God, God, please, I'm lonely and I want this person in my life. And God said, I got him ready for you. You're not ready. That's the thing. Or you have a dream to own your own business and you, you already got everything ready and you've written it all out. and You just need the money. God's got the money. But if you're getting paid to work eight hours a day now and you only work six and play on your phone for two hours... God can't give you something for you if you can't honor what belongs to somebody else. It's a test we have to pass. Everybody understand? Um, you want more money or you want a bigger home or whatever. If you can't take care of what God's given you today, how can you expect God to give you more tomorrow? If you want a bonus or more finances, if you can't tithe off of what you make now, why would God say, I'm going to give you more money to steal from me? That's not how it works. You have to take care of the one-bedroom apartment if you want God to bless you with the two, and so on and so on. So these ten character tests are tests that you and I have to pass if we're going to fulfill our destiny on earth. We have to pass it. Now, as we go through the test, don't get upset or condemned because all of us have failed all of these tests at one time or another. And some of us are failing them as we speak and go through it. But you're going to learn. You're going to be okay. And we're going to help you because we love you. Okay, if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. So, what in my character 
is God trying to mold and change and prune so that I can step into my divine destiny? What is God trying to do in my life today so that I can have what he wants me to have tomorrow? So for your notes, point number one is this. The first test that Joseph had to pass is the pride test. Pride for your notes is, um, and you can actually turn your Bibles to Genesis 37, and we're going to mark up our Bibles today. You can actually write the word pride in your Bibles in Genesis 37. Pride is when it's all about me. Uh, pride is when you have to give your opinion on everything. Pride is when you love to give people advice in your short groups. You're in a short group, and as soon as somebody has a problem, you're the first one to say, well, if I were you, I would do da-da-da-da-da-da. They want to look at you and say, if I were you, I would, you know, put a bag over my face. If I were you, I don't, you know, people don't like, so that's pride. Pride is, um, is everything's, the whole world centers around me. Pride is, you're here to serve me. Pride is, how can I get ahead? How can you help me fulfill my destiny? That's pride. So in Genesis 37, we start with the life of Joseph. And in verse 2, it starts this way. Joseph at 17 years old, and it tells us immediately that he was a tattletale. He brought his father a bad report about his brothers. Remember last week we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Jacob is Joseph's father. Jacob had, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel from. You didn't need to know that, but it's extra and I won't charge you for it. So Joseph uh, told his dad, Dad, my brothers, their problems. You know, you need to spank them. You need to deal with them. It's always their fault. In verse 3, Jacob, which is the father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, which is wrong, parents, unless you're my parents, and made him a coat of many colors. When his brothers saw this, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers the dream, they hated him even more. Okay, so he's a tattletale. He shows off the gift that came from his father. He makes sure everyone sees his gift. And then he tells his, his, his brothers a dream. Now, why would they hate him just for saying, hey, I had a dream? Here's why, verses 6 through 11. The dream was that Joseph's brothers and his parents would bow down and serve him. How would you feel if your sibling who had the greatest gift from your dad, who your parents loved the most, came and told you, hey, God told me that you're going to bow down to me one day. How would you feel about that, brother? So Joseph had this spotlight in his life, and he could have pointed it on the gift giver, but instead he pointed it on the gift. That's pride. Um, prideful people, they want to make sure that everyone knows that they are the most important person there in the room. It's all about them. In fact, the last thoughts that Satan had before he made it to hell is in Isaiah 14, 11, and it says this, you are now in hell because you said in your heart, here's Satan's five I will statements. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the other angels or the stars, which he was already above them, by the way. He was already above them. I will sit enthroned on the top of the mountain, which is the mount. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds, which the Bible says Jesus rides on the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And that was the last thought he had before he got sent to hell. Before you and I got saved, the way you know you're saved or not, before we got saved, the most important person in the universe was us. After we get saved, the most important person in the universe becomes Jesus. 
Um, Satan always points the finger to himself. Look what I'm doing. Look what I need you to help me do. Look what I'm accomplishing. Jesus always pointed his finger to the Father. Always. Uh, last week for Pastor Appreciation uh, Month, y'all got me a, a picture. It's, um, it's a collage, and, and all of the members of our church at the time, those of you that sent in a picture at least, um, got put on this collage of pictures. See how cool that is? Isn't that so cool? You know, whenever you come and look at this, do you know the first person you're going to look for is yourself? Do you know the first thing you're going to think when you see your picture? Is it a good picture or not? If it's not, I don't want it in there. I don't want anybody to see a bad picture of me. You know, the second thing that you think is, why is this other person's picture bigger than mine? Do you know why? Because the most important person in our lives sometimes seems to be ourselves. And not Jesus. <laughs> anyway, so I know you're thinking, well, um, I worked really hard to get to where I'm at. And I studied really hard and nobody helped me. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, even though I worked harder than any of them, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God that is with me. In other words, who do you think gave you the IQ that you have? Who gave you the brain that you're using to think with right now? I'm going to tell you something that all of you at one point in your life will believe is truth. You may not believe it today, but at one point in your life, I promise you'll believe this statement. <sighs> Everything you have could be taken away in one split second. Just like that. You don't realize how much you need God just to breathe. All the money you have in one second. It could be taken away. The looks you have that you want everyone to know about, one accident. The very the, the, the fact that you can speak, you know one stroke and you won't talk. Do you know that? One brain aneurysm and everything that you worked for for 50 years is completely gone. I don't think we realize how much we need God just to open up our eyes in the morning. But we love to use every chance we get, social media, in person, in groups, to make sure everybody knows how great we are and what we have. And Joseph went around bragging about this gift that his father gave him. He made life all about him. We could lose everything in a second. So how do we pass the test of pride? Okay, Philippians 2 says this. In humility, value others above yourselves. Here's how you pass the pride test. God will give you opportunities every day to help somebody else's dream come true, to help somebody else get ahead, to open up the door for somebody else, to let somebody else talk, to let somebody else be encouraged and be bragged about. God will open up these doors for you every single day. And I'm all about equality. In fact, we were in D.C. a few weeks ago. There was a women's march. And I'm getting, you know, a, a, a baklava or something from a food truck. And all these women are, and I thought they were just walking because I was handsome. And they were all, I, I don't know. But anyway, and so I'm in the middle of all these. And I said, what are y'all doing? And they said, we're marching. And I said, what are you marching for? Lady said, uh, for women. And I said, well, what are you marching for women for? I don't know. You know, and then some other lady said, equality. And she's like, oh, yeah, equality. That's what we're marching for. I said, well, you better march as long as a man would. Anyway, I didn't say that. But anyway, so I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. Okay, so listen. So listen. Listen. So verses 5 through 8 says, um, if I could take that back. Okay, so verses 5 through 8 says, though Jesus was God, 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he took the humble position and he obeyed what God told him to do. Here's what the Bible says about equality. Because you think that, and I'm all for racial equality, gender equality, I'm all for it. But listen, real close, the Bible stance is not for me to put myself where you're at. The Bible stance is for me to put you above me. My, 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 my job title is senior pastor, but my job is to be the biggest leader in this whole church. I don't, I'm sorry, the biggest servant, the biggest servant in this whole church. <laughs> servant leader. But anyway, so the job, the goal is not for you to put yourself, well, I'm going to be where they're at. I'm going to get above them even. No, 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 no. Every day in life, we're supposed to put other people above us. Man, how difficult is that to put somebody else above us? And you may lose some money doing this. You may lose some time and energy. But guess what? Life isn't about you. It's about the kingdom of God. Let me give you an example to help you understand this point. Then I'll get to point number two. Um, there was this photographer from National Geographic who was in South America just shooting wildlife and different scenery and things like that. And all of a sudden he sees this very, very, very narrow bridge, a man-made bridge, of course, uh, across this like cavern. It was just 20, 30 feet long, but it was a very, very deep, you know, cavern underneath. And so he's flipping it from an angle, you know, on the side of this mountain cliff thing. And lo and behold, this, this goat comes out of the brushes and starts to walk across this very narrow uh, bridge. And so he's, you know, snapping shot after shot. All of a sudden he sees that as peripheral vision on the other side of the bridge. Another goat gets on the same bridge and starts walking. And his adrenaline's pumping. He realizes the bridge is so narrow, they can't pass each other. It's too far into it for them to go backwards. He they're going to they're gonna hit head. They're going to butt heads. And one of them, or both of them, is going to fall to their death. And he's going to film the whole thing. So they get closer and closer and closer. And much to his surprise, one of the goats lay down on the bridge and allowed the other goat to walk over him to the other side. Then this goat gets up and starts walking his way. Now, I'm not saying to let people walk all over you. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we're called to lay down our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God, which is people. How many times do we butt heads and either one of us or both of us falls off the bridge, so to speak? Okay, point number two is this. Joseph had to pass the pit test. This is a test that you and I, uh, before I get to this, let me just ask you, how many of y'all have already passed the pride test and you're already a very humble person? Just making sure. Miss Betty was the only one. I'm just kidding. Okay, so, so point number two is this, the, piss, the pit test. <laughs> you know, I almost called this series Joseph's Pee Tests, but then I thought y'all would think that it's a, a drug test that we're talking about. No, no. Every point <laughs> We're going to have to edit that out. We're going to have to edit that out. Point number two is the pit test. All of y'all's bad minds, you need to be delivered from that. So, in Genesis 37, verse 18, you can write the word pit or write the word excuse. The pit test is the excuse test. How did I come to this pit? Whose fault is it that I'm in this pit? What happened to be the reason that I am now suffering this different, this difficult situation in life. It says in verse 18, Genesis 37, when Joseph's brothers saw him afar off. First, let me ask you, how did they see him afar off? 
He was wearing that blasted coat everywhere he went, right? What kind of prideful person goes around wearing bright colored outfits for everybody to see them everywhere they go? Crap. Okay, ready. They said, let us kill him and cast him into a pit. Then we shall see what becomes of his dreams. Verse 22, Reuben, which is the firstborn. Remember that for the end of the series. Remember in three weeks that Reuben said this. Let's not kill him. Let's just cast him into the pit. Don't lay a hand on him. The Bible says Reuben said this, that he might deliver Joseph back to his father. Verse 24, when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped him of his coat of many colors. Very important you see that. In other words, he lost his gift. Remember that. Uh, and they cast him into a pit. Okay, the pit test is this. What brought you to this pit in your life? What brought you to this pit? Now, if you name anything other than your poor choices or your disobedience to God, you're going to stay in the pit. And you're going to fall into another pit and another pit and another pit. What brought you to this pit? Well, I had a horrible uh, childhood growing up. You won't believe what they did to me. I can show you a thousand people that had a worse childhood, but they succeeded and fulfilled their destiny. So what's your next excuse? Well, the government, if this person becomes president or if this person stays president, then I don't know what I'm going to do. Okay, Joseph succeeded in Egypt. Do you know how worse Egypt is than America at the time? Egypt, they worship false gods. In fact, the man in charge of Egypt was the most demonic man in the universe at the time. And Joseph became second in command of that place and was blessed his whole life. So you can't blame the government because God can get past that. Well, I don't have enough money. Well, God owns a cattle on a thousand hill. Well, I don't, I don't, okay, listen, all your excuses will keep you in the pit if you don't take responsibility, ownership. You say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I was in this relationship and they were unfaithful and they did me wrong and they hurt me. Okay, maybe you weren't supposed to be in that relationship in the first place. Maybe you got in that relationship through your flesh and not God bringing you together. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe God had somebody else for you and you jumped into this too soon. Maybe that was your problem. Anytime you blame somebody else for your pit, listen, the reason you'll stay in the pit because of that is because you can't change that person. So if it is in fact their fault, then they will keep you in the pit. That's why it's, it's not their fault. It can't be their fault. Or else you wouldn't be able to fulfill your destiny that God has for you because of some other person. Are they really that powerful? Your parents, your friend, your enemy, your boss. My boss doesn't like me and I work so hard. Do you know that God can cause your boss to move to a different continent if he wants to? If God wanted you to be promoted today, if you had already passed the character test, you would be promoted today. If you use any excuse for the pit other than your disobedience, then Philippians 4.13 cannot apply to you. Because it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, I need more money to do it. Okay, then guess what? If you're ready, then you can get that through Christ who gives you strength. Well, I wish I had somebody that no, if it's all through, it's either through Christ or it's not through Christ. It's totally, completely up to you. I realize Joseph's brothers were envious and jealous, but that was between them and God. Joseph's pride got him put inside of the pit. Here's the sad part about this story is that Joseph loses the gift from his father. The very gift that his father gave him, he lost it because of a lack of character and integrity. 
Let me ask you, and I'm going to hold my hand up. I'll be the first one to hold my hand up. How many of us in this room have lost blessings from our father because of a lack of integrity in our past? And listen, and if you didn't raise your hand, <laughs> we don't want you to lose. Now, let me ask this, and you don't have to raise your hand for this. But let me ask this. How many things has God blessed you with today that you will lose if you don't let God change your character today? What are some things you already have that you know that you, you could potentially lose this gift from your father if you don't let him change your character? Now, don't you think it? Well, Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Okay, listen, the father didn't take the gift from Joseph. He lost it to the enemy because of his pride and arrogance. God did not take that gift from him. The father did not remove that coat from him. No, 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 no. The enemy took it from him because of his lack of character in his life. And I know what you're thinking. Well, you're saying that I've lost all these things. I'm not going to get it back. And I can't, why should I even serve God? Why should I even be in church? Then listen real close. When Joseph repented and got restored, guess what? He was the second richest man in the world. Guess how many coats you think he had when he got restored? Hundreds of coats. The best coats in the world at the time. You say, well, he didn't get the coat that he lost you know, from his father. I don't know if that's true. Remember at the end, Joseph and his father are reunited together. I bet his father held on, held on to that coat for 22 years thinking his son was dead. I bet Joseph got the best tailor in the world to put gold and silver in that original coat. He got it all back after he repented. If you don't repent, you'll stay in the pit. You got to learn to find what the reason that you're in there. Repent for it. Now, whatever we lose from disobedience, we gain a hundredfold through repentance. That's the goal in the pit. Find your part. Your part may only be one percent of the whatever took place. Whatever it is, find that and repent for it. Whatever your part is, repent to God and you'll be restored. I'm sure you heard about the the guy that was um he was walking home from work one night and he was trying to take a shortcut through a cemetery because he was in a hurry to get home and he's walking through it's real dark and he falls into this deep 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 you know, hole a pit that was dug for the, the next day's funeral you know and so he falls in the pit and he screams help 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 and nobody's around it's the middle of the night so he tries to climb out of the pit and it's too deep he just can't get out so he figures i'm just gonna sit in the corner and wait a few hours the sun will come up and somebody will be here to help me get out about 10 minutes later this drunk guy is staggering through the cemetery and he does the same thing falls right into that pit well he doesn't see the guy sitting over in the corner and this drunk guy starts yelling help 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 and nobody helps him he tries to climb out and he can't get out so the guy in the corner thought he'd have some fun with the drunk guy so he said in a deep scary voice you'll never get out of here you know what's funny he did he jumped out and one jump that drunk guy made it out of that hole if you're properly motivated, you can get out of the pit. And God will do whatever it takes in your life. Whatever it takes. Because God cares more about you repenting and growing than he does you just being happy and comfortable in life. So once you understand. So Psalm 75, 7 says this. Promotion does not come from the government. So stop looking for it. Promotion doesn't come from the color of your skin. So stop complaining if you don't have the right color. Promotion does not come from the, 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 the Harvard education. If you got it, great. If you don't, it's fine. Promotion comes from God. He can lift up one in a second. And he can put down one in a second.
That's why we want God to be the one to promote us. Because if we manipulate people to get promoted, if we um, lie or cheat to get promoted, if we don't pass the character test and put ourselves in a place of promotion, in one second, God can demote us. That's why we want God to be the one to promote us when we're ready. Because when he promotes us, no man can stop it. Nobody can stop it. The longer we stay in the pit, the longer Satan has our ear deceiving us, lying to us, telling us to blame everything else for why we're not making it in life. In Genesis 37, verse 31, they took Joseph's coat, the brothers did. They killed a goat, dipped it in the blood, and brought it to their father and said, Dad, we found this. Is it your son's? The father recognized, it is my son's, a wild beast. Has devoured Joseph. Let me ask you a question. Had a wild beast devoured Joseph? Yes or no? No. Satan is such a good liar. That he can fabricate evidence. To deceive you into believing his lies. That's how good of a liar he is. The Bible says you're healed. But I, I, when I searched on Google. Somebody that sneezes seven times after midnight. It says they got cancer and they're going to die. <laughs> Satan will fabricate evidence anywhere he can to go against this. Well the Bible says that God will give me the desires of my heart. And Satan says no, no, no. You need to go after this over here. And pursue this over here. And God doesn't know what he's talking about. He'll well, um. You and your spouse get into a fight, right? You know, when you get into a, you know, when you get into a really major fight, you have those horrible thoughts of divorce or what happened. You know, you, I, I know y'all have had it. When you get in a really bad fight, you start thinking the worst and Satan fabricates these lies. They did the same thing to you 12 years ago and, you know, 1994 at 3 p.m. You remember all these things? Satan says, you're opposites. Your marriage will never make it. Of course you're opposites. If you married yourself, you would kill that person. <laughs> of course you're opposites. Of course, God brought you together. And if God didn't and you're already married, repent for whatever happened and ask God to restore that marriage. God can put passion back in your marriage like you've never experienced when you repent. This Bible almost just came out of my hands. Just almost. I called it. Okay. So remember what Reuben said. Remember what Reuben said in verse 22. He said, I want to take care of Joseph so that he might be delivered back to his father. You can put the scripture up there. Here's the point of every single pit in life. Is for you to cry out to God and be restored back to your father. That is the goal for every pit. For every pit. Cry out to God. Be restored back to your father. Point number three is this. Point number three is the Potiphar test. The Potiphar test. Uh, Potiphar test for your notes is um, being faithful and excellent with little. So it says in verse 36 that Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the pit. I believe Joseph repented at that time and God allowed him to be pulled out. But watch this. They sold him to Midianite traders who took him. They sold their brother into slavery. And the slaves took him to Egypt. In, in chapter 39, verses 1 through 3. Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, bought Joseph. Look, I've read this next scripture over 150 times in my life. And every time I read it, it means more and more to me. Watch this. I love this. I love it. Listen, he's thrown in a pit by his family. He sold into slavery and watch this. The Lord was with Joseph and he was successful in all he did for his master's house. Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and made Joseph prosperous. Potiphar put Joseph in charge of the entire house and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house 
because of Joseph. Wait a minute. Did God just bless a Muslim, a Hindu, an atheist, a devil worshiper? God just blessed someone that worships false gods. You know why? Because somebody brought God into that house. Somebody decided they were going to bring God into this place and things started to change. You can complain about your boss, your co-workers, government, whatever it is, but you have the Lord with you wherever you go. Does your employer believe that their place is blessed because you work there? That's the Potiphar test. Does your family believe that that home is better off because you live there? That got quiet. That was a lot more quiet than the one before about work. <clears throat> Does your short group believe that they are better off and more encouraged because you're a part of it? Does the team, music team, usher team, whatever, football team, whatever you play for, do they believe because you're there and your attitude's there and you show up on time and you're excellent and you encourage other people and you push and motivate them, do they believe that there's a blessing attached to that group because you walked into it? That's the Potiphar test that we have to pass. That's the test. So um, back in um, 2004, 5, 6, somewhere around there, it was known, it started to be known around uh, Chicago that there was this parking lot attendant named Joe who worked for the Chicago White Sox who was the friendliest parking lot attendant in the world, they said. So Jerry Reinsdorf decided to, um, who owned the Chicago White Sox at the time, decided to research this and he met Joe one day and sure enough, Joe was a great employee. Uh, Joe was on time, he always smiled, he treated people, even though he's making, you know, 10 bucks an hour and just over the stands are baseball players making millions of dollars a year, Joe acted like this was the greatest job in the world. So Mr. Reinsdorf, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, decided to seek out some other employees that he had. He went to the hot dog vendors and the people that sold the beer and pretzels and the janitors, the people that cleaned the gum off the seats and cleaned the bathrooms and all these things. He discovered he had a lot of great employees that he had never talked to before. In 2005, when the Chicago White Sox won the World Series, when this happens, all of the players and the owners and the managers get that world championship ring. This particular year, it was, it was pure gold. It had 95 diamonds on every ring. That year in 2005, when they won the World Series, Jerry Reinsdorf, got 432 championship rings and not only gave it to the million dollar players, coaches and managers, he gave one to the hot dog vendors and Joe the parking lot attendant and the janitors and the people that clean the bathrooms and clean the gum. You know why? Because if God wants to promote you and it's time to promote you, he'll find anybody he can to bring you a diamond ring with 95 diamonds on it if you're doing your best behind the scenes. You don't need to manipulate people. You don't need the favor of man in your life. You have the favor of God wherever you go. He will find you. You can make $10 an hour. And if you're ready to be promoted, he will promote you. Luke 16, 12 says, if you've not been faithful with what's another man's, who's going to give you what's your own? If you can't be faithful serving somebody else, you think God's going to put you in a leadership position? It doesn't work like that. Don't ever confuse little with insignificant. Little is not insignificant. Little is what you might have right now. God sees behind the scenes how you handle the little things. If you're a man and you go to the bathroom here and the urinal's taken, 
you might not realize this, but you are anointed to lift the lid whenever you go to the stalls. And if you don't lift the lid, then the people that clean the bathrooms, they're anointed to clean the bathrooms. You're anointed to change babies' diapers if you're a stay-at-home mom. You're anointed to do your best as if you own the company when you're making $10 an hour. Luke 19, 17 says, well done, excellent. Everybody say excellent. excellent. And it doesn't say leader. It says excellent servant because you're faithful with little then I'll put you in charge of much. Here's the biggest problem pastors have is people come and say, hey, I want you to put me in charge of much and then I'll be faithful with little. It doesn't work like that. You got to be faithful with the little things behind the scenes first. We are anointed to do small things with excellence in our life. You're anointed every time you smoke a cigarette. You're anointed to put that thing in a trash can and not flip it out the window of your car. That's littering. You're anointed to be on time. You're anointed to smile. You're anointed to serve behind the scenes. If you take out the trash, you're anointed to do such a good job that, man, the trash can is so clean when you're done. These are the, these are the areas that God wants to promote. He uses the small things to bring the big things. Okay, I'll close with this because I don't have enough energy to preach all this again. This past week, I was listening to the radio and I heard a story and I decided to research it. The story is about this 80-year-old musician uh, named Paul Harvey. He lives in um, England, and he's suffering from diabetes. I'm sorry, suffering from dementia. And it's taken his mind, and he's not remembering things, and sometimes he doesn't even remember his family. He was a former um, piano player, musician, composer. So his son, to help with dementia, comes over to his home every single day. And his son plays a game with his father called Four Notes. He sits his father down at the piano, 80 years old, and he just calls out four random notes. Every day is a different set of notes. And this particular day, he called out to his dad, F, A, D, and B. And the goal is for the father to find those notes and then find them other places on the piano too. And then as he does that, his mind starts to get a little bit better as he's playing and he remembers how to play the piano and he adds other notes to it. starts getting better and better and better. And so this particular day, the son decided to videotape his dad playing the four notes uh, to help people with dementia, to help their family. And he put it on YouTube. When he did, the BBC Philharmonic saw the video and they heard his story and they called in the master composer who took those four little notes and wrote a symphony around it. Then the symphony was given to the chief conductor who called the entire orchestra. And because of uh, COVID, they couldn't play together. So they sent out all the parts of the music. And they had everybody in the whole orchestra play their part, videotaped from home, on top of the 80-year-old's piano playing from his home. And this is a video I want to show you. Uh, F natural. A, 
D, B natural. There is your four notes. Everyone involved wanted this moment to be the first airtime of four notes, Paul's tune. in life is four little notes. All you may know is four little notes. You look in the bank, you got four notes. You look at your job in life, you think, oh, it's just four little notes. You see people that have so much more and you think, all I have, I'm a stay-at-home mom, four little notes. All I do is just, you know, greet people at church, four little notes. If you will be faithful and excellent with the four little notes, the master composer will write the most beautiful plan for your life. He'll give it to the chief conductor and Jesus will take that and he'll call in the woodwinds, which is the favor of God. He'll call in the brass, which is the power of God. He'll call in the string instruments, which is the grace of God. And before you know it, you'll get to the end of your life and you'll look and see, man, how did my life become this beautiful orchestration symphony piece? And it's all because you were faithful with the four little notes. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with your whole heart as for the Lord. Not men. Remember, the Lord promotes. If you will give God glory for everything you have, if you will repent for your part of the pit, and if you'll be faithful with little, you won't live in the pits. You will live in the palace of life. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's give God a great big hand clap.